Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe. And if this is your first episode and you're wondering what this whole thing is all about, well, I'll tell you. Every week, I find my head surgically attached to the body of a different friend and cinephile. Together, we are given a note containing a theme, sometimes specific and sometimes vague. Our job is then to pick a pair of movies that fit that theme and then watch and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. Hey gang, welcome back. And also a big welcome back to our returning guest, host body, Rick Todd Johnson. Rick, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you, buddy? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Having a, a fun time here because we're in the midst of our kaiju takeover of the Incredible Two-Headed podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm actually not sure if you're going to be the first episode in this or the second because I'm recording with both you and Carlos kind of around the same time frame and I'm not sure which is going to which is going to go first, but we're doing a bunch of, we're doing a bunch of Kaiju episodes. I think Carlos is also going to do one on his show. We're going to have this big crossover episode. I'm watching a bunch of Kaiju movies. So it's, it's been a fun couple of days. Yeah. I've been like plowing through like crazy. Yeah. I'm sure like we'll, we'll get to some of those titles later. Cause we're, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about giant rubber suited monsters here. I may not have watched the ones that I'm going to talk about. I mean, you're just assuming. Well, no, we'll talk about some of them, though. Like, some of them will undoubtedly come up. We'll, we'll be talking about not just what we're watching for the show, but we'll be talking about other things, especially in our crossover coming up in a few I might, I might talk about Susan Sarandon films. That's fine. The most deadly kaiju of them all. Absolutely. Other than kaiju, what have you been... I know you do these... Um, you're kind of all kaiju all the time right now because you get on these themes or projects that you're working on, but any other cool stuff you've been watching? Any other, uh, any other maybe discoveries or favorites you're going back to? Uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of in the period now where I'm like trying to see all the Oscar nominated films before the Oscars. So I, I do that every year where I try to get in as many as possible. And I usually, I usually get to about 90, 95% you know, before they even, before they even air the thing. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes this year. But I'm actually already doing pretty well. I, I've already seen five of the five of the eight nominated uh, best pictures. I feel like I'm, I'm actually in pretty good standing already before I even really get started on it. So I do the same thing where I try to keep up as much as I can. I never do nearly as well as you do. This year, I'm really, really doing bad because I, I didn't even pay much attention to what the nominations were like this entire year has been weird, but my, my feelings on the Academy have always been like, it doesn't really matter in the ways a lot of people think, but especially this year, I'm just kind of, uh, I don't know. I I'm not disinterested. Like there's a lot of movies on there. I want to see. I just have not been paying attention to it. I'm both in love and out of love with the Academy. I always have been, I've it's, it's always been, I know that the film that's selected for best picture is never actually the best picture I saw that year. I mean, once in a while it is, you know, Shape of Water was one where it matched up with my sensibilities, but it was, it's, I, I still kind of obsessed on it just because it's, it's kind of the standard for Hollywood. And so it's not going to go away 
you're not going to make it go away just by going, oh, it's never the best movies. It's it's what it is. I just I I, I just kind of love it. I just don't. I'm not slavish about my devotion to it. And I I have my own list of best films every year. And it's like they hardly ever match up, though. There are a few crossovers, but, but um, it's still something I do every year. And I always look forward to it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually just decided to look at the best picture and like scroll through. There's a lot of interesting looking choices on here. I haven't seen any of these. Well, no, I've seen Mank. I saw Mank. You saw you saw Mank. I remember you said that. Yeah, I've seen Judas in The Black Messiah, and I've seen Mank in Nomadland and Sound of Metal and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And, you know, they're all in services that I have. So it's like... Yeah, I was, I was just looking at it and thinking, like, this is really a list I can just knock out this weekend. I can watch all yeah. of, almost all of these. I think maybe Minari is the one it's I like might Ma Rainey's Black Bottom got a bunch of nominations and I've seen that, you know, and One Night in Miami has gotten a couple and I've seen that. And I also saw the United States versus Billy Holiday. So, yeah, I mean, as it goes through the list, it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen like so many of these. And so it just chops the list down really quick. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. Like, I just was not that interested in it this year, but I'm going to I will do I will make an effort. I will make an effort to catch up before the I, I think what i love most about the nominations this year is that uh films with sasha baron cohen i think he got two nominations he got one as an actor for trial of chicago seven as abby hoffman and then he got a, a, a best adapted screenplay nomination for his new borat film so that is fantastic and uh maria bakalova got an actress in a supporting role for yeah I, I thought she was so uh, i'm very very happy with that because it's nice to see comedy get something you know i will say of the top best the best picture nominations the one that looks like it's probably the most like oscar-y like the one that that maybe in in the future time you'll just feel like it'll, it'll feel like it was put in there because that's just a an academy style pick is seems to be the trial of the chicago seven but you've seen that right yeah, I feel I feel it's like Nomad Land. So, oh, well, then there's also Mank because the Oscars do like serious movies about movies. I don't think I don't think another black and white movie about Hollywood is going to win after the artist did. So, no, no. Yeah, I think it'll be a while before one. I don't think Mank's going to win. Yeah, I, I I don't think so either. But you never know. From, what, from everything I'm hearing, I think uh, Minari or Minari or whatever it is, uh, the one with Stephen Yoon in it. I think that one is going to take it, I think. But, That's the one I really want to see. But yeah. I want—I really want to see a lot of Just these. Just from everything I've read and all the reviews and stuff, I'm thinking that might be the, the kind of a shoe-in for it, but who knows? I I, I, I can never predict the, the best picture. It's like, it always goes to something that I just was not expecting. Yeah, same here. But I, also on the list, I was just looking at Sound of Metal. I've been hearing great things about it. I don't know why I haven't Sound of the Metal is terrific. Yeah. Every time I log on to Amazon I, uh, Prime, I see, I think it's Prime, right? Sound of Metal? Yeah, um, Sound Prime, yeah. Every time I get it, go into Prime, I see Sound of Metal, and I'm like, oh, I hear great things about that. Uh, but I just I haven't started it. It's I, a been... very different movie, and I just really enjoy watching it. But then yeah. I talked to my brother, and I thought, oh, my brother would have loved this one. And then I talked to him, and he's like, ah, it's okay. And I'm like, okay, well, what do I know more? <laughs> yeah, it's like. I see. I see Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have a two out of five shot for getting best original score. 
I know. Isn't that look at Trent? Just uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if he's sucking up or they're sucking down. But you know, it's like. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I think the concept of selling out is no longer applies. Um, certainly, I didn't say he was selling out. I, 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 that's not what I said. Well, okay. I, I, I mean, I was maybe I was uh, inferring something you didn't mean there, but I, I mean, I've been happy to see his his branching out. I guess I'm still remain a Nine Inch Nails fan, and I don't know as a musician and as a person, he seems to. Like he, he's somebody I kind of root for. I mean, he doesn't need me rooting for him because he's a multimillionaire, like super. I, I just successful. think it's hilarious. Nations is like a, a Disney slash Pixar thing. So very, you know, I would not. Trent have, Reznor working for Disney. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I would not have expected that. Yeah, I am in a, a little years. I am a little surprised it took him so long to transition into film scoring. I mean, he's been doing it now for over a decade, right? He's for a while, oh, yeah. But yeah. and these are not his first nominations either, I don't think. So no, I think he got nominated before. No, but I remember him in the '90s because he was doing the soundtrack work with David Lynch and Oliver Stone. Yeah, and, and he gave interviews where he's like, "Oh, I like picking music for movies, but I'd really like to to score a movie on my own." And it took him a long time to do that. Maybe maybe it just took a while for somebody to call him up well, I mean, and give him a chance. I, I never expected Johnny Greenwood to get into it either, you know. But he's done several films now, so from uh, Radiohead. Oh yeah, I know I know who Johnny Greenwood is. Oh okay, yeah, okay. Well, maybe the listeners don't. I don't know. Okay, well, uh, I guess this was Oscar talk. I, I guess let's get into it. Let's talk some monsters. Let's take a quick break and uh, get back here. We'll be talking about a lot of monsters over the next few weeks. fate of the world hinges upon the actions of Captain Sano and his crew. He has brought back a deadly secret from an unknown planet. Internationally renowned Eiji Okada plays a brilliant Dr. Kato. Lisa, our moon station. We'll go. We may find there the secret that will destroy Gilala. What was the mysterious substance he brought back from outer space that threatened to destroy the world? See atomic spaceship AAB Gamma face the terrors of the unknown. Spaceship AAB Gamma. The UFO. It finally came. So that's our friend. It's coming closer. Doctor. Shoda. It's all right. I can take care of myself, Captain. We have lost communications. We've had no reply either. Time! Hold the oxygen valve! Miyamoto! And the light! Please, send a rescue rocket. I'll go. Lisa! Hey, you made it. That was a close one, Sano.
the X from outer space. In the near future, mankind has colonized the moon and has set its sights on Mars. There is a problem, however, as each ship dispatched towards the red planet disappears mysteriously. Japan sends out an investigatory crew who encounter a UFO that sprays their ship with strange spores. Upon returning to Earth, one of the spores begins growing at an alarming rate, quickly becoming Gilala, the X from outer space, a bizarrely bulky bird-like behemoth. Now, this is a movie I've seen a few times now. This I, It came as a part of a, a Criterion Eclipse set, which was full of movies that were great I'd never seen before. I am not sure if it if something has changed in me or if maybe I wasn't giving it the attention it deserved or the respect it deserved in the past, but watching it this third time or so, it, everything clicked for me. Like I just really enjoyed this movie a lot in, in a surprising way. Not, I mean, surprised at how much I enjoyed it. It just kind of had like, well, it has a really fun vibe. I, I, I have some issues with it, which we'll discuss, but I found this a, a very pleasant viewing experience. And after it ended, I almost just wanted to start watching it right again. What are your thoughts on this? So you, you probably lived with this a little bit longer than I have. I have been deeply in love with this movie for 40 years. <laughs> so um, I, I first saw this as a teenager on a mid-afternoon monster movie uh, slot on Channel 11 in, in Alaska when I was a kid. And and every afternoon there'd be a monster movie. And this was one of the ones that I was introduced to probably when I was about 12 to 13. And then I didn't see it for like years after seeing it a couple of times in that slot. And uh, in the late 80s or mid 80s, it came out, Orion put out a four pack of uh, Kaiju films on VHS. And uh, they were Yongari, Monster from the Deep and Godzilla versus the Smog Monster and Gappa. Uh, the tape was called uh, Monster from a Prehistoric Planet, but it was Gappa. And then, uh, and then the fourth one was the X from Outer Space. And I was like, I wanted them all on tape. I got them all on tape. But yeah, X from Outer Space was the one I was just most delirious to see again. And, uh, and yeah, I've had a copy of it ever since. I still own that copy on VHS, never gotten rid of it. Um, but when, as you as you did, I got the Eclipse set of the four films on there, even though I liked all four films, the one that I most wanted to have on DVD was the X from Outer Space. And I just love it. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, I mean, the word that, that comes to mind immediately when I think of the aesthetic of this movie is just groovy. <laughs> like, yeah, it's got, that's it's, for it's, me, it's the second grooviest Japan centric space kind of sci-fi film after the green slide which is the grooviest yeah a very good call i was actually going to mention that as well yeah, i uh, i usually pair them together when i watch them and um, i remember that when either film would get shown on like tnt on their like their tnt weird time slot that they had for a long time there um they would show them back to back and they were like a perfect pair to go together yeah i was thinking about pulling out the green slime and watching that because that that's a really that's a really fun movie. But this movie just like the score, it's got that like kind of swinging lounge score that the bossa nova, yeah, bossa nova beat, and, and it just starts for the theme song for the opening theme song where they're like singing about you know they had the constellations you know over the credits and then they're saying and they're talking about how fun space is how Mar and of course that will be proven wrong eventually 
in the in the movie but it's like oh look how no look how fun it is in space you know the, in, in the lyrics and and that yeah the but that music just it goes through the movie you know the, the, there's always some sort of variation on that theme song floating around somewhere yeah well it's a, that got that bossa nova score the funky space station like the the scientists are going to cocktail parties together and like getting yeah. off into space all the time it, they, they get back from space and the first thing they're doing is they're at another cocktail party yeah, it is a goofy movie. I did laugh this time at how often they just jet off into space like it's nothing. Yeah, they change locations in the blink of an eye. They'll be on space, and then the next scene they're walking around on Earth, and you'll you're kind of a little disoriented, or at least I was. Gotta yeah, me like, too. You just got to kind of go with it because this movie. I don't know if there was more to the script that they just cut out or if it was edited really poorly, like they didn't have the transitions that they wanted, but it does, like my main complaint with it is people will change locations, groups will be separate, somebody will be with another group and you'll not see how that happened. They'll just like suddenly appear. Yes, uh, missing some transitional scenes, definitely. Which is, you know, it it, it is fine, fine yeah. for just how fun and the the, the flow of this movie but it did kind of jar me a few times when somebody would show up and I'd be like, wait a minute, what are they doing here? Particularly the, the ending when all of a sudden one of the ladies that was with the main group is now in a different building that has collapsed on her leg and they'll have to help her out. Um, uh, Lisa, yeah. Yeah, which her leg looked really messed up and she's walking around. I thought it was crushed. And then they pull her out and she like leaps quite easily into the back of a car and i'm like what <laughs> and the other guy like she sprained was his ankle or something and he's on crutches for the rest of the movie <laughs> did I you watch remember. the movie in japanese or in english oh in japanese okay because i watched i watched it in both because i have some real issues with with lisa oh, okay is she supposed to be german oh uh because you know, if you watch it in english uh, it's an American actor. She's she's from Mississippi, but she went to her college. She she went to Japan. She moved to Japan. She was put through a, a, a college program there, and that's when she started doing movies. I think when she was like seventeen or eighteen. She clearly speaks English, but when you watch, and now the Japanese version, it's an even though I, I think she knows Japanese, but her voice is dubbed by a Japanese actress in the in the Japanese version. But in the American ver in the English version. Her voice, I, I cannot tell if she just has a horrible speaking voice or she was dubbed by like somebody of European extract or she's trying to put on a European accent, uh, like a Germ Ger German accent or something. But I never find out if she's actually, they never say her last name and I can never tell if she's supposed to be German, but there are other Germans in the film. Okay, well, I am looking it up right now. IMDb just credits her as Lisa. However- That's what I'm saying, yeah. However, Wikipedia credits her as Lisa Schneider. Then she might be German. But where did Wikipedia get the information to call her Schneider? I don't know. Maybe I missed it in the movie. I don't remember them saying her last name. But... Well, it's not in the credits of the movie. It's just Lisa in the credits. All I, all I know is, I mean, there is a Dr. Stein and there's also uh, uh, Franz Gruber plays. Uh, uh, well, there, there's like two. There, there, there's the, the doctor they take with them after they go to the moon base. 
that's Dr. Sorry, Dr. Berman. That's who it is. Franz Gruber plays him. So I, I know it, I, I know it's supposed to be like an international sort of space agency because there's there's both Japanese actors and there's like European actors in it. But I, I was never sure of what she's supposed to be. But it, it is an American actor playing the role. And but when you listen to her voice in the English version, it's so strange. <laughs> it's yeah. like. You, you, sure. you watch her you watch her in the Japanese one and the voice that's used for her is so girly and so you know and then you get to the one and the part where she's being crushed by her legs being crushed by the by the uh, uh, whatever the, the big vat or whatever she's screaming like the monster <laughs> it's like she's like ah, ah. And I'm like what the hell is going on with her voice <laughs> Yeah, go back and watch it. It's so strange. The DVD does have the English track on it, right? Yes. The, it yeah, that's okay. what I, yeah. yeah. I've, I've only I ever... actually have it playing in the background right now, and that very scene is up on the screen. Dr. Stein was the one that was on the initial trip that kind of went a little nuts. Yes. Kind he's of... the one who, yeah, he's the one who takes over for Shiota. Because Shiota gets sick, and he has to stay at the moon base. So Dr. Stein is the one on the ship who kind of like, who tries to take over when they right. encounter the ufo which they they say looks kind of like a half-cooked omelet which yes. is it, it does look very egg-like and we never get an explanation of that ufo so they escape the ufo because it's they're putting some sort of tractor beam for a little while but it does spray them with these spores that contain it looks like many gilala but they only take one back to earth with them right well, so that's what I don't understand is if they're all over the ship. How do they only bring the one back? Do they take the same ship back to Earth or do they leave that ship at the moon? Because if it's in oh. space, then maybe it wouldn't grow the way it does on Earth. Oh, that could be then. Um, Again, it's transitional scenes. I can't remember if they, if they did that or not. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of piecing it together myself but because it, it doesn't show a lot of this stuff. Or maybe they cleaned it off. Maybe they're like, we just need one. Let's get the rest of this gunk off our ship so we can go. Who knows? But we never get an explanation for those aliens other than we can imagine that there's something on Mars or they, their civilization is on Mars. It's implied, just... yeah, that there's something or at least something around Mars or, you know, that's kind of operating in that area. And I, I kind of like uh, the mysterious nature of that. I do kind of like not knowing everything that's out there. Like there's just something mysterious in space. But I, I do know at various times there have been sequels discussed or planned for X Matter Space, and they've never come. But it does feel like they're they're setting up their own franchise here. They are setting up their own world because even with Gilala, that's what it, that's what it feels like to me too. Because even with Gilala and the way they get rid of him at the end, I, he's still out there in space. He could still come back. There's right <laughs> no reason he wouldn't really. Well, how many times they killed Godzilla and he's come back? So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I know. Killing, <laughs> killing Godzilla something. in the very first movie. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so killing killing a kaiju doesn't necessarily mean you won't see it again. It doesn't mean but, doing anything in a kaiju film doesn't mean anything. It's, it's just anything could be written back, you know. But I do, I do wish that this one had gotten a sequel, and maybe it's just because I really like, I, I like the aesthetics of this so much. I just like the feel of it that I kind of want to live in this world. This very groovy funky utopia almost <laughs> like well you know it, it there 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 is that I, I will say that the film has like at least three distinct sections because the film does start out super groovy and people bouncing around on the moon we forgot about the bouncing part 
the first time you see people outside on the moon, there's like people bouncing like they're on trampolines behind yeah. the rocks, <laughs> you know, with the bossa nova music playing. It's hilarious. But there is that first like third of the film, which is like, hey, we're in space and we're going to go to cocktail parties and everything's groovy. And uh, hey, isn't science fun? And, then, and it, that reflects the theme song. But then you get to the second section of the film and that's when all the grim starts stuff starts you know the doctor getting sick and then you know, the ufo showing up and the spore and all this and going back to work and what is this thing and then the third section is the monster rampage you know and and the and, the, and that has the bit with the leg and all that stuff and it gets darker and darker and darker as the film goes along there's slight little breaks where they go to another cocktail party here and there but the tone of the film gets darker and darker as it goes along so it's not really groovy all the way through well, no, you're you're completely right. But I did feel, I mean, it felt pleasant to be with this movie, even if it was oh, absolutely, and, yeah, one hundred percent. And I I will say, when when Gilala is <laughs> subdued at the end, it's kind of gruesome looking, even though they're just kind of spraying him with this substance that is what, gilalinium or something. I can't remember. That's the name of it, gilalinium. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. But it, it could be whipped cream for all we know. You know yeah, so. and it's meant to, basically, it's a substance that they're using to keep him from absorbing energy, which is why he's growing to such a huge uh, size. And so he can't absorb energy and he shrinks back down. And that scene is kind of kind of gruesome in the way that they're spraying him, but like there's this like liquid shooting out of his mouth and like there's a squib on him at one point that explodes that looks really gross, yes. like right next to his face. Yeah. Um, then I was like, wow, for not having any blood and just being kind of a white foam, this is kind of gross. Yeah, it's kind of more gruesome than it would be if it were bloody. In a way, yeah. Also, when I, talking about Grimm, sneak peek here, this may show up in one of my, in my top five recommendations later on, but the scene where Gilala escapes from the lab, the spore, gave me some very heavy alien vibes. Ah, yeah, I can see that. Because when they come to the lab, the containment vessel that they had Gilala Spore in is broken, and there's like an acid has eaten a hole in the bottom of the floor, and it kind of goes down a little bit. And that's how Gilala gets out and starts growing. That scene is very much like, obviously, when they're, they are trying to cut into the, uh, the face hugger in Alien. I was interested, because when I looked up, after the after I, I was thinking that while watching the movie and I was like just kind of researching X from outer space, this movie gets mentioned in that new documentary about the alien movie. The um what is it? It's just called Memory, right? Memory, the origin of alien. Yeah, I watched like two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Well, the apparently in that documentary they mention X from outer space as a possible inspiration for alien. Um, I don't remember that one. I remember it the it the terror from beyond space is the one I remember. Oh, I'm just looking at the IMDB connections is how I saw that. Yeah, I might I might have just missed the the mention of it because the one I was waiting for was it the terror from beyond space because that's the one that's usually cited and I think there was a lawsuit because about the source material because Alien didn't acknowledge it or something like that. I think there might have been, I had to look that up, but I think there was a lawsuit about, about the, um, the source material for it not getting credit or something like that. So I guess go back to X from outer space. There's kind of a, a love triangle here that I didn't quite buy watching it this time with, is it Captain Sano, Lisa, and is it Dr. Kato? Uh, Michiko. Michiko, uh, Michiko, sorry. 
So there's Each a lot the the love triangle I don't buy quite so much just because well it, it's it's very strange because when it, the, the movie first starts i mean you get the idea that there's jealousy from michiko over lisa being on the on the mission with the captain but then lisa is immediately like giving her earrings and being super friendly with her and stuff and i but i didn't get any sense that lisa was really into the captain until they had that conversation in the shower you know the two women yeah and then and then that's definitely there's definitely something going on where at least one of them is or maybe they're both very very jealous or very you know very competitive over his affections but then they don't really do much with it after that i mean there's a couple mentions you know where he leaves the room and lisa had asked him to dance with her and he leaves and then you know michiko like gives her a look you know and and is very sad but then it kind of goes back to them just doing their normal thing again and so yeah, I don't. I didn't really buy it either. You know, especially because that's what the movie ends on is Lisa being very sad and Doctor Berman coming over to comfort her. Yes, it kind of it kind of makes it, or that that ending makes it seem like that storyline should have been more important in the rest of the movie. I guess I mean points for them trying to make an emotional connection there through um, an emotional through line in the movie. That is. I was gonna say there's there's one thing I wanted to mention about the name of the ship. Hmm. The AAB Gamma is the name of the ship. And if you watch it in both versions, the name of the ship sounds so much better said by Japanese actors than by English voices. Because they just go AAB Gamma. And if you watch the Japanese one, it's like AAB Gamma. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they say it like a hundred times in the movie. And so you just get this refrain of AAB Gamma. I can imagine that the American dub of this is probably a little bit more awkward. That seems about right on brand. So much has been made throughout, you know, throughout this film's history and growth as kind of a cult item about the silliness of Gilala, how he looks. And I really like the design. It's so bizarre. Like I said, I called it bizarrely bulky. And it is weird. Like the legs and arms look like he's been powerlifting. Like so much. Right. He looks like the bottom half of Godzilla. And then it's like a couple of pie plates taped together. Like it kind of poultry like, but his head is like has those weird things going off on the side. And he, like the he doesn't look he doesn't look poultry like he looks like a spaceship. Mm. His head looks like a spaceship, like You're a right. flying saucer combined with a gladiator helmet. You're right. I, I keep saying poultry like because that's how, how the eclipse box describes it and i'm just like oh yeah that everybody like a- describes him as chicken as a chicken and i'm like he's not a chicken but they, they do make the comment about his 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 footprint looking like a like a chickens because he has the three the three toes well you watch the american dub do they call him do they make more references to chicken in the american dub no just that thing about the footprint but all the reviewers always mention that he's a chicken you know that he's a space chicken or something like that and then it, you know it's like you're right. It, it, it has always annoyed me because I've never gotten that from his actual look, except he's got a beak. He does have a beak. And so I, I get they make the connection with the foot and the beak that he might be a chicken. But yeah, but, he's not a chicken. You know, he's just, Gon- he's just an alien. Just has certain elements that, you know, are bird like. Yeah, cer- certain elements. And I always just kind of buy it. But now that you're saying it, I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, he's not very bird like. He has a beak, but. I mean, lots of kaiju have beaks. Gappa has a beak and nobody called him a chicken. Yes, that's because his beak looks more like a parrot. But yeah, That's yeah. true, it's true. Uh, but speaking of Gappa, that was one of the proposed sequels. I guess they were 
discussing it in the 70s and then the the idea came up again in the 90s when the studio that owned Gappa closed in the 90s Shochiku brought up discussions of bringing uh, Gappa and Gilala together again or together for the first time in a sequel that movie never happened the only other film appearance of Gilala which we both discussed is in the monster strikes back attack the G8 Summit. Monster X Strikes Back, Attack the G8 Summit from 2008, which you own. You you told me you have this. I know you've seen it. I just watched it for the first time this morning. Um, Because like I said, I finished this movie and I wanted to spend more time in the world. I wanted to see more of Gilala, who I think is one of the more lovable looking kaiju. (laughs) I I really like his look. I wanted more of that. And so I watched this. You warned me, and it turned out to be completely accurate, that most of the footage is just reused footage from X from Outer Space. And I will say it's remastered, so it looks really nice. It, looks, it is, re- yeah. It looks great. I rec- I only knew it was reused footage because I recognized it, and they kind of reused the same footage a few times. But it fits in with 2008 filmmaking much better than I would have thought. Like, it, it looks of a piece with that movie. Um, yes. I will agree. Like if you if you didn't know about the first movie, you'd go, "Oh wow, they made a new movie." You know, mm-hmm. they, they filmed a new monster. You know, new, new monster scenes, or you know, and it it does look concurrent with with what everything else they they shot. That wasn't quite. I mean, that that wasn't quite the sequel. I think anybody really wanted. It, it was a political comedy satire, which didn't... it's kind of like Shin Godzilla, where they spend half the time talking politics. Yes, <laughs> and in <laughs> fact. And you're not on on Twitter as much, so you don't you wouldn't have seen this. But in fact, when I was watching it, I tweeted out that Monster X Strikes Back attacked the G8 summit, walked so that Shin Godzilla could run. <laughs> That's a good one. I think Shin Godzilla is like we will we can talk about more about it later. We have weeks, but I think Shin Godzilla is a masterpiece, and I think Monster X Strikes Back is far less than a masterpiece. I don't really think that movie was on Ono's mind while he was making Shin Godzilla, but it, it was interesting to see that political angle parallel that it they're they're both about how the government and our world leaders are woefully unprepared for any sort of tragedy, much less one that is a giant monster rampaging across the country. I think the last year, you know, definitely proves that. I will say, and I'll probably say it again, because I'm, I'm sure we'll be discussing Shin Godzilla again, but Shin Godzilla is the only Godzilla movie that has actually scared me in that it really made me feel how terrifying that would be in a real life setting to have this uncontrollable force of nature, like rampaging through your 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 hometown or where the, just the world, how unpredictable and frightening and terrifying that would be. Yeah. Cause they treated it like it was a real disaster that had happened. Yeah. Oh, Shin it wasn't just, Oh, here's a shot of fleeing villagers and, you know, and then here's a monster knocking down a building. It felt like, you know, you were there and you know, like, and just, you know, just everything falling about around you. And, you know, it's, they did a really good job with that film. They did that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to masterpiece level, but you know, I don't like to do that. Okay. But I, I will say it is definitely quality wise. And just in, in the, 
ingenuity of the screenplay, I think it's just way up there. It, my ratings are my own. <laughs> They're not absolutely. I, I maybe I use that word a little liberally. I try not to, but I, I really do like uh, Shin Godzilla, and I think it's both. Yeah, it's both more frightening. I think we agree on that. I think it's both more frightening and more well humorous. It's funnier than Monster X Strikes Back, which is trying it's to be darkly funny. Yeah, it's trying yeah. to be. Uh, Monster X Strikes Back is trying to be a broad political satire, and a lot of it falls very, very flat. Because uh, well, they have terrible. Moments. Yeah, <laughs> it had a couple and, of moments and, that made me chuckle. And like I couldn't figure out why the representative from the United Kingdom wasn't British. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it wasn't like a gag in the film. It just they didn't have a British actor to play him. I guess I don't know what it was. And, there was yeah. a scene where he suddenly put on a British accent. And I was wondering very like, briefly, very briefly, if, but most of the movie he doesn't. Yeah. I was wondering if somebody had just reminded him that day, oh, you're supposed to be British. <laughs> yeah, um, it could be. Or even that that Vladimir Putin, although they don't call him Putin, his his name is Putin. They don't look anything but, like their real life counterparts. No, no. In in fact, I mean Shinzo Abe does kind of look like Shinzo Abe. The guy playing the American president doesn't look a thing like uh, he looks more like Clinton than he does Bush. What's his name? President Murder? Like somebody calls him. Yeah, I don't remember his name. Oh, was. no, President Burger. Burger. That's right. And which I made me the, think of Thirty Rock. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there there've been no more X from outer space aside from that. If you want to watch that, and I mean, I wouldn't tell you not to watch it but it is on archive.org uh, you have to look up the keyword gilala looking up monster x strikes back even though that's what the video is called it showed me nothing but when i typed in gilala that came up anything else that you want to say about the x from outer space gilala in his rampage scenes now i've seen a lot of monster rampages ah okay i don't think i've ever seen a monster be as vindictive <laughs> with his violence <laughs> as, as soon as you're talking, <laughs> he's as, Galala, as cute as he is, as a in design wise, is a complete dick. He'll just be walking past something and then he'll just reach over and go smash. You know? <laughs> as soon as you started talking, I was like, oh, yes, the way he would just like offhandedly smash electrical towers. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, oh, I missed that building, you know. And then he like kind of saunters when he walks. He just kind of like, eh, you know, he's like, he's like a, he's thinking he's like a badass and stuff. And it's like, you don't see that in monsters usually. I mean, yeah, Godzilla does his little leaps and yays and all that stuff. But Gilala, is, he's just this major dick walking around. Yeah. Uh, it just it, cracks me up. It, it does. This is a, this is a really fun movie. I, I'm glad. I'm glad we decided to watch this. Every once in a while, I pull out that Eclipse box set. And honestly, I don't return to this one as much as I return to other films in it. But I'm glad we did this because, man, something about this. Yeah, it was, like, it was it was my prime reason to get it was this one. I, but there was one other thing in the film. The, the scene where he's chasing the little tiny Jeep. Every time I see that, at least, you know, in the last 20 years or so, um, I always flash on the Jeep. Tyrannosaurus Rex chase in Jurassic Park. Oh, good call. Yeah. Okay. Good call. Like I just always flash on it going, Oh my gosh, I don't know if it's an inspiration because it's completely shot differently, but it is this giant monster chasing the. And in this case, and the T-Rex is like still, you know, 
fairly small compared to Gilala because Gilala is like 200 feet high, you know, and there's like this little tiny toy Jeep that's being pulled probably by a string or a wire across this, this stage, you know, that's supposed to be like the desert. And <laughs> there's, you know, and, 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 and like this giant monster is like, I mean, if you look at the spacing, it's like two feet away from it, you know, in normal size, you know, and uh, it, it just looks hilarious, but at the same time, it makes me completely think of that scene, Jurassic Park. It's like, it, it's 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 great. And then they cut the flat. They 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 they'll do a cut, and then you'll see like these kind of superimposed fingers trying to reach down and grab at the car and all you know at the at the the trailer that's behind it. And it's just it's it's fantastic. This one uh, didn't have the best uh, didn't have the best composite effects when when Gil all his hands come in they're very very separate from everything else but it it had pretty good like matching of the models to the sets that scene you talk yeah. about is, that scene you talk about is silly but also i thought it was pretty cool and surprising when he yeah. actually comes down and grabs the jeep and like breaks it in half or breaks yeah. off the trailer i should say breaks off the trailer and the jeep crashes and explodes and that's something that I think will be a theme, and especially when talking about the next movie, is how good the model work is and the and, and, and yeah, I love I love his attack. His big attack on the city there is just marvelously detailed, and like he's walking through it, and there's all these jets flying around him. I mean, they're on wires and stuff, but still, there's like constantly you know things flying at him, and cool. uh, at one point, a, a, a plane like <laughs> it's great, a plane flies into his nose and kind of stops in midair and then he just reaches up and grabs it and throws it down you know <laughs> but <laughs> this one right in the nose this one when he's destroying the city because he destroys almost all of tokyo in this one um, yeah like all of it yeah they they put some detail into the ruins so that like towards the end when you know, everything stopped falling and exploding and you're, they're walking by or you're seeing him walk by these ruined buildings. They actually do look like they're, they're, they, they look a little bit more detailed than the models that would have just exploded. They do look a little bit like kind of grim in a, in a kind of a, yeah. a very real isn't the right word either, but you know what I mean? It looks, it looks a little bit more, um, oh, I guess, yeah, a little bit more real than just, you know, cardboard that's been knocked more over. shockingly real than you were expecting, given the general tone of the film. You know, but as I said, the film gets darker and darker, so it's actually appropriate that that happens because you do have to be reminded. Oh yeah, it's a big silly guy in a costume, but he has just wiped out half of Tokyo. <laughs> you know, it's like yes, yeah. Within the story, it's horrifying. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I think that'll mostly do it for X from Outer Space. As you can hear, we're both pretty enthusiastic in our love for this movie. Will that continue on the next one? Stay tuned after this break, listen to a trailer, and you'll find out.
はり私の想像したとおりでしたか If my lips could only say the pretty words that I feel in my heart. If my voice could make the sound, I would tell you how I love you and we'd never be apart. But with just one look into your face, my mind starts to drift right into space. And the Officials suspect that the giant ape-like creature attacking and eating people is none other than Frankenstein's monster, grown to epic size by radiation in Frankenstein Conquers the World. But when it turns out that a second, nearly identical creature is the culprit, scientists Paul Stewart and Akemi Togawa try to convince the military not to kill the good one, while the two gargantuas head toward a confrontation of their own. Now, I said there that it was Frankenstein's monster, that is not necessarily the case, depending on which version of this movie that you saw. I, I watched this on HBO this time, and th that version does mention that they're Frankenstein's monster, or they, well, they, they call them Frankensteins. Uh, the other English versions remove all references to Frankenstein. They are just called Gargantua, or Gargantuans, or I'm not even sure. I, it, I'm not sure if I've seen the version that isn't on HBO. I'm really, I'm going to let you kind of take the lead here in the beginning, just what you think about this movie, because I'm very interested how this conversation is going. I'm, I'm going to maybe disappoint you right now. I'm going to say I don't really care for this movie. Oh, uh, wow. I've watched it multiple times this week. And in fact, I put off our recording because I wanted to watch the movie again, because I, I, I'm like, this movie is beloved. People who's- By me too. Yes. So. And people whose taste I, I, people whose taste I respect and share, love this movie, and yet I'm not quite sure I get it. So I'm kind of hoping through this conversation, maybe you'll, maybe you'll open my eyes to what what I should be looking for in this movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely love this movie. This is this is one of my very favorite kaiju films. Um, it's yet another one that I saw as a teenager, uh, just like X from Outer Space saw it as, you know, on that same program, basically. Not even basically, I did see it on that same program. And once again, I did not see it for years after initially seeing it a couple times on that show. And then uh, when it came out on uh, VHS in the 80s, I, you know, grabbed it. I think Paramount released it as part of their Godzilla line. But um I just adore this movie. I, I didn't, and I did. And after I saw it for the first couple of times, I like really liked it. And I heard how much, how terrible people thought it was. And it was like really cheesy and hokey. You know, you, um, I think the review 
in the psych in Michael Weldon's uh, Psychotronic Encyclopedia, which is one of my it's my Bible basically as far as film watching goes. Um, his his review is like a one sentence review. It just says, you know, just one of the silliest, most you know, ridiculous monster movies ever made. He kind of dismisses it, um, and I'm surprised by that because he, you know usually we picks up on what's really cool about films and, and, and doesn't mean that he didn't, he disliked it, but I think, I just think he just kind of dismissed it with his review. And yet, yeah, there is a cult around this film and I happen to be part of it. I recognize how silly and inane most of these shenanigans are in the film. And I still love it. It's so wild and kind of almost an untamed kind of film the the monster battle in it is ridiculously long and just crazy and uh i i just really enjoy the film yeah well you you mentioned the monster battle and i will say uh one of the things about having such humanoid monsters because they're they're basically in just it's like two bigfoots fighting you know yeah and and the, the the upside to having two humanoids two humanoid figures fighting is that the fights get much more physical than some of the Godzilla monster yeah, they're battles. they're rolling and, you know, they're doing all sorts of things that you don't see in the regular monster movies. And they move super quickly. There's the scenes yeah. where the green Frankenstein, the evil Frankenstein, keeps running away from lights. And it's the scene, like, in the, near the beginning when he is attacking the airport and the sun comes out and he just runs from the airport to the ocean... And which is immediately like hundreds of feet deep right off the edge you know yeah. because he jumps into that thing <laughs> it is kind of impressive seeing a kaiju run that quickly through the miniatures and sure. this movie yeah. like i mentioned in x from outer space how much i like the miniature work i do think this has some of the best miniatures i've ever seen i was well this is master of that you know behind the behind the scenes what's that uh, uh surabaya the, he kind of the master of the Toho look. This is one of his last few films before he leave, before he leaves, loses his contract with the studio. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, watching this, the miniatures with the kaiju, and there's some there's some uh, composite with people in the miniatures a couple of times. It always looks really, really great. Uh, the way it all it all is matched like how seamless some of the, the smaller buildings look. Uh, obviously, when you get to a large cityscape, it, it, it starts to look like you can tell they're not real buildings, of course. But when they're, they're around smaller buildings or smaller trees and mountains or hills, it all looks terrific. I, I think it's, it's um, some of the most impressive I've ever seen. I talk about kind of not liking this movie. I, I just... I'm not sure I really care too much for the look of the gargantuous faces. And I think a lot of the performances are really, really flat and effectless. And I like Russ Tamblin a lot. And it pains me to say he is very dull in this movie. Like he is sleepwalking his way through this movie. He did not want to do this movie. No, that really bummed me out. Uh, Like I was reading about how much he didn't want to be on this movie and how he would just not listen to direction. He kind of just made up his own lines and and stage direction. And kind of everybody in the Japanese cast and crew thought he was a real pain in the ass to work with, which 
I mean, that's kind of a bummer. You can not like, not want to be in the movie, but being kind of a dick to everybody else, not necessary. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, yeah, he did change, he changed his dialogue and just really pissed off the, the, the director, uh, Honda. Uh, the, like, I don't know, I, so I haven't watched fully the uh, version on HBO Max because I've been having problems airplaying it. <laughs> and um, so I don't know if he has a similar line in the redone English version that's on HBO Max, but on the uh, released version that was, uh, you know, it originally played in the States. Um, he has a line about thinking that the, the guy who was describing the, the, the monster attack at the beginning of the film, the, the surviving uh, boat captain, he says he thinks he might be on LSD. And I'm not sure that was in the script. <laughs> so it sounds like a kind of a cool Russ Hamlin line that he's, hey, that must be on, it must be on LSD. I don't recall that specific line. Uh, so yeah. it might not be in it. And I've watched the movie. And I figured that would be an improv. I had to be an ad lib that he did, you know. Um, but yeah, he seems very emotionally withdrawn from the whole proceedings. And just he's very dull in the film. And like you, I, I love him in nearly everything. Going back to his stuff, the 57 Brides to Seven Brothers and stuff. He's always a ball of energy. Tom Thumb is another one where he's just this, you know, he's so exuberant normally. And then on Twin Peaks, he's fantastic. Um, in this film, yeah, he is just there for the paycheck, I guess. He, he doesn't seem like he really is involved at all. No. And so we, we're talking about the different versions. HBO Max has the original international version that was the translation was licensed by or commissioned by Toho. What you have, I guess, which was on the DVDs. I have the original one in Japanese. Oh, okay. That, that's the official version. That's the full version. It's a, it's as long as the one on HBO Max, so it's probably the same print. Uh, it's just it, it's in, in Japanese. Uh, okay. That one's not on my DVD set. The, the 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 American one you're talking about is not on my DVD set. The American one that's on there is the same way that like the original Godzilla was turned into Godzilla King of the Monsters and they added extra scenes to it and they added you know a whole bunch more Raymond Burr a whole bunch of Raymond Burr this one they added additional scenes and it has uh, all American actors doing the the voices and all that um, that's the one that didn't get released until like 1970 in the theaters in America it actually sat on the shelf for a couple of years so they thought it was unreleasable and then they did release it in 1970 I believe so there's like at least three distinct, maybe four distinct. I think there's four four different versions that we're actually talking about here. I think there's a fourth version kicking around, but I can't. I don't have the specifics on that. Okay. So the the main difference is because well, the the two I was talking about. So you have the the Japanese version, is the two translations. There was one commissioned by Toho, and then there was another one commissioned by Henry Saperstein, the American producer of this film. The, the production. Right. And that was done with all American actors. And in the international version, Russ Tamblin does not do his own dialogue. Somebody else dubs him over. Right. But in the American right. version, and the, Russ and the one that was shown theaters and TV officially, though, was the one with his voice, and that's the one that I have. Okay. And Russ Tamblin did do his voice for that version, but yes. could not had no script and could not remember his dialogue. So he ad-libbed and lip-synced to what was going on on screen. Yep. One of my other problems, I mean, we talked a little, we're talking about Russ Tamlin's performance, how he's, he's really detached. It, it's hard to tell how much the character 
being an asshole in this movie is intentional like and how much of it is is like rust hamlin's performance is making him more of an asshole because he is so kind of just uncaring of everybody even his uh kind of little bit of of romance with akemi i think they're supposed to have had a kid together right i think so they've they've had a relationship they they have a relationship definitely and yet he seems so in like very disinterested in her yeah I, I think it's him making the character seem more of an asshole. I really do. I think it, I think it's his performance that brings that character down. But I got to tell you, the reasons why I like this film have nothing to do with that character. Mm. Like talking about him is almost inconsequential because he really has very little to do with what's cool about this film. He, ha- he has nothing to do with what's cool about this film. It's about the monsters. It's about the music. And it's about the look. And uh, that's... That's th- this mu- this film looks at least color wise fantastic. There's just these bright hues, you know. A lot of them are dark, but it's just very bright colors. Um, it's very sharp, very very catchy to the eye. Um, just any any scene is just gorgeous looking. As far as it, this kind of oversaturated color, I I just really think it looks fantastic. Yeah, I I can get that. And there's a, a few moments, particularly when the gargantuas are fighting in the water, where I, I really like the way it's shot and the way that the monsters are presented. But I do generally feel that the gargantuas are, are not very interesting looking, like their design. I, I maybe... I, See, I, I, think, I think they look like... I think they look scary they're very scary looking even i mean because there's the good one and there's the bad one but even the good one looks pretty scary because they look very similar um just one's brown one's green there is something about this film that i i kind of have in my back of my you could almost in modern terms look at this film as a battle of the carnivores versus the vegetarians because you have you have the cannibalistic green gargantua slash frankenstein you know he's colored but he's colored green and you'd think the vegetarian one would be the green one. But of course, I said, you could think of this in modern terms. Back then, they weren't thinking about that. There is a definitely divide, definite divide between the two. The green gargantua is cannibalistic and goes after eating meat at every opportunity. The, the, the brown one lives in the forest and, and, and mountains and stuff. And he's gentler and nice. And you could actually communicate with him. And he's not trying to eat everybody he sees, you know. But and I merely was making that mention about carnivores and vegetarians as a joke. But um, I, you know, I'm sure somebody today would think, "Oh, that's exactly what this means." And it's like that's not what their intentions were. I'm just saying you could almost see it modern terms that way. As a sequel to Frankenstein Conquers the World, it doesn't quite match. Like the continuity isn't. They change. No, not at all. Not at all. So it is. I'm not quite sure how much to consider them. I think it's the, like a hidden. I think it's a hidden sequel to well, Frankenstein Conquers the World, especially um, since the 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 way that they talk about. Well, I mean, it is kind of supposed to be a sequel, and they call them Frankenstein's. But the flashbacks to how the <laughs> what happened with the other Frankenstein completely different. Like they they, they right. have a little baby Frankenstein instead of the Frankenstein's heart from the first movie. Right, but even with the Frankenstein's heart grows into a human looking Frankenstein. He has a big forehead, but he looks like a, like a young Frankenstein. 
not you know, not like Gene Wilder's movie. He looks like he was put together, you know, from parts and stuff, even though he wasn't. When he when he grows up, he has that kind of Frankensteinian kind of look that you would expect. In this movie, all the versions have a little ape boy. <laughs> and that's like, why would Frankenstein look like an ape? That's what I don't understand. Like, Which is maybe why they called it gargantuas in other releases. And because that's what I was hoping is that when I went back to say, was the ape boy? Because I'm watching the American one first this time. Because I normally watch the Japanese one. And I'm watching the American one this time. And I'm like, was he an ape boy in the original one? And then I go back and I go, oh yeah, he was. And so for some reason they decided just for, because they're fur, kind of, oh, they are furry, but I know their faces aren't necessarily, they're more monstery looking. And it's like, they could have gotten away with just having the same thing, but they went with a very, very ape looking little boy. And it it's really cheesy looking. <laughs> and that kind of makes it lovable at the same time for me. So we we've got this green evil gargantua that is attacking uh, cities, attacking the airport, attacking homesteads in the countryside. And the military comes out and is look about to kill the Gargantua, it looks like, when suddenly the introduction of the good Frankenstein, the good Gargantua, is he kind of just like runs out of the mountains and grabs the green Gargantua and takes him off to safety and is kind of like nursing him back to health. Until he yes. comes back, until he comes back and finds that the green gargantua has been eating people while he was gone. <laughs> like, is that what he's supposed to see? He looks down and sees kind of like bloody little tiny clothes around yeah. the gargantua. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he and realizes he, that the green gargantua has been being evil, basically. And then he picks a he uproots a tree and starts beating him with it, and that starts the war of the gargantuas. And yes, I do kind of like that through line of the you know the kind of brother against brother because he's a clone they don't know each other it's just they're the only two of their kind yeah um like i i like that aspect to this movie there is a lot that i I do kind of like but i just having watched it now a couple times this week i i didn't know i was was well a little bit uh, i want to throw in a couple things about the beginning of the film first off from the beginning of the film, this movie has a marvelous score. Okay, let's yeah, the, the music is really good, really, really good. Uh, uh, uh Akira Ufukube uh, does the score like he does in many of the Toho films for, for about 15 20 years. Um, and yeah, this is just a lovely, lovely score. It has a very, very brassy kind of signature theme to it that you cannot forget once you've heard it. It's it's just it's kind of brazen and just like nah, 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 nah. you know it's like it's really recognizable i i just think it's very kind of a very evocative score all the way through used very effectively at the beginning of the film the film kind of starts very quietly and then you have this incredible fight i love this fight uh between the green gargantua and this giant octopus which a, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that go ahead well the the the, the octopus was actually created for Frankenstein Conquers the World. Yes. It's a big marionette puppet, but it was cut from Frankenstein Conquers the World. It was not released in that film, but it was used later in Japan for a TV print against the producer's wishes. And that version was called Frankenstein versus the Devilfish. So they actually kind of made the, the climactic scene of the film 
this giant devilfish. And then people who had seen the movie in the theaters were very confused because they thought they were watching the same movie. And then like, there's this other scene in it. And then that version disappeared until like three years ago when it came out on the, I think it was the shock, Tokyo shock, I think, or whatever, put it out on, they put it out as a, an, an extra version on their release of this film uh, of Frankenstein Congress, the world onto a DVD and Blu-ray. And so you can get that one uh, on, on their release, the, the Frankenstein versus the Devilfish. But in the film proper, it was not used. And so they reused that puppet, not the scene, but the puppet itself. They, re, they used it for this film, for the opening of uh, the War of the Gargantuas. And, uh, I, I, and, and as an aficionado of deep sea creature type movies, I just really love this, this octopus puppet. There's like, you know, his tentacles slithering through the boat, trying to find the captain and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden the gargantua comes up and they had this giant just melee in the water. Just really, and this, the, the lighting is terrific. It just has a, you know, it's just, it's just a very, very cool looking scene. It's really good. And that I do like an ocean set monster i do like an uh, an aquatic kaiju it's really cool and that scene was put in or originally filmed for frankenstein conquers the world at the insistence of henry saperstein saperstein really wanted an octopus battle and then decided after seeing it that no it it looks pretty bad it looks correct yeah not good so so it's interesting then they 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 got to reuse it. it it just watching it i was like oh so they he just really wanted to get that octopus in there yeah but of course, obviously, I, they just had an octopus, so why not use it? Why not use it? Um, I've not seen the Devilfish version of Frankenstein Conquers the World, so I don't know what that fight scene looked like. But it might have looked terrible compared to this one. I don't know. Well, I was just going to say, there's a couple other moments in that opening section that that uh, I think are also very effective and lead to me really loving this film. There's the the bit where. Um, the 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 uh, guy in the boat is looking under the water. This is the different boat. This is not the opening boat. But oh, yeah, there's the like two a scene later. The, the fishermen are looking out into the water and they just see this green face under the water that just rises up towards them and they freak out. Really cool scene. Um, I actually think it's kind of scary and I don't get scared by much, but that actually kind of actually, ooh, you know, it was like ah, you know, that would freak me out of that. <laughs> I mean, oh I yeah, of course. And then um, there, and there's a, another little bit where, you know, as cool as those scenes are, there's a the little bit after the gargantua, you know, fights the uh, fights off the octopus and d- defeats it. Suddenly it starts turning into a child, basically. And so the boat in the water, it looks really silly, you know, because he's like thrashing the water around it and shaking the boat. And it's just like he's attacking a tub toy. And it's like fantastic. I just think it's really, really goofy and fun. Yeah, I, I actually do like that opening where we get the we see the octopus battle and then it cuts to the one the guy that we've been watching on the boat and he's in a hospital unconscious and he's just talking about a monster and he wakes up and then we get we get a little flashback to yeah. what happened after the cut. Oh yeah, sailor scene. Yeah. The the swimming after the sailors is like whoo. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I I mean already my uh, my impression of this movie is improving a little bit. Maybe maybe in the next time I'll finally join the cult. So about the music, do you have anything you want to say about the the probably the most, well, the song from this movie, The uh, Words Get Stuck in My Throat? 
so yeah, the 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 the, uh, the nightclub scene that's like about like maybe a quarter of the way into this film is a a singer named Kip Hamilton. That's the actress's name. Uh, she is the uh, sister-in-law of Carol Burnett. She does a song in this film. Uh, she's in the in the movie. She's obviously lip syncing it, but I, I think she's actually singing it also on the soundtrack. She sings a song called "The Words Get Stuck in My Throat." It's kind of a cheesy kind of Burt Bacharach, Hal David knockoff. They didn't write it, but somebody definitely trying to emulate that style. And the song, the, the lyrics are insipid, but they're also memorable. You know, if I had a microphone next to my heart, you know, it, it's just very silly lyrics. It's apparently like one of the key scenes in the film with the people who love this movie is that it's a it's a, it's a very key scene to those to, to the lovers of it because. I, I think there's a cheese factor that a cheesy lounge factor that everybody likes. I don't like the film. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't like the song as much as others do. I think it's actually a bad song and I think she sings it terribly. <laughs> uh, I think she's off key and there's a very awkward bridge section where she starts talking and stuff and then goes back into the song. It, it's not a good song and yet I love it. Well, then you uh, must love I, the Devo version. I have the Devo version. Uh, I have a, I have a couple different bootlegs of Devo singing it of uh, my, my mother's boy as Bougie Boy singing the song because it was a one of their early characters that they used to use a lot. They have him so it's Mother's Ba wearing a mask and then singing as this character in this weird falsetto. I, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of bootleg Devi, uh, Devo because I'm a massive Devo fan, and so yeah, I know the song very well from them. And there's also the Scooby Doo episode. I was gonna I was. Incorporated, which I actually rewatched along with this because I was like, oh yeah, I got to see that episode again. Um, and so I rewatched it a couple days ago. They, they have a, a an episode that is clearly based off of War of the Gargantuas from about seven, eight years ago, where there are two villains in the film who are in monster suits, much like the Gargantuas look. And uh, they have a big battle and it starts out in a nightclub where there is a singer singing the same song it's on the, on the soundtrack. It's somebody doing a cover version of the words get stuck in my throat. Uh, the singer sings the song better than Kip Hamilton does. <laughs> um, it is much better version. And the song is still cheesy, no matter who sings it though, but still lovable also. Um, but yeah, I, and I think it's you know, that mystery incorporated has a lot of references to old movies and, and, and Lovecraft stuff. And I mean, it's, it, it's a terrific series. And yeah. I think it's, maybe the best of the scooby-doo series i'm and, i'm actually not a scooby-doo fan i don't like I, I i don't know i just don't like scooby-doo but well even a scooby-doo non-fan can look at that and go well this is easily the best of the news oh like i'm not a scooby-doo fan but that mystery incorporated i watched it when we first moved down here i went through the entire series with my daughter and we both loved it i'm a little bit disappointed it never continued but also, I, I I just recently learned that some of the more recent Scooby-Doo movies have used the characterizations of the characters from Mister Incorporated. Like yes, they have. Kind of, yeah. It's kind of following the character traits that d came out of that series. So I might actually watch some of the new Scooby-Doo movies. There you go. Yeah, and some of them, I mean, I've, I've been kind of, I haven't been watching all of them. I am a Scooby-Doo fan uh, because I was like five when that series came on. So I was like, <laughs> you know. I, I, I'm gonna say five when the original Scooby-Doo "Where Are You" was on, not like five when Mystery Incorporated comes on. That would be ridiculous. But yeah. so yeah, I was I was the chief early original audience for Scooby-Doo, 
And, uh, and I have loved it my whole life, even though I hate many versions of it. So you can love a thing and still hate what they're doing to it and, uh, and vice versa. But it's like, I, I think Mystery Incorporated is terrific. And I just really love, you know, what they did with the gargantuas in there in that episode. It, it's a really fun episode. Back to the movie itself, I suppose. <laughs> um, I know we, we've talked a lot about Russ Tamblin, but his characterization in this movie, the character of Dr. Stewart, he just kind of flip-flops a lot. There's a scene where he flies out to meet with the military and he says, 100%, this is not Frankenstein. This is not Frankenstein. And then he leaves that meeting and there's uh, reporters outside the airport or wherever. And they're, they're saying, could this be Frankenstein? And he stops and he's like, it might be. I it don't might think be. So. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He just like kind of flip-flops back and forth all the time. He refuses to believe that that Frankenstein is back, despite, you know, people have been eaten. There's multiple witnesses. But somebody, a hiker, comes to him and says, look at this photo I took in the woods, and it's a big footprint. And he's like, this is where Frankenstein is. And that's why I believe that Russ Tamlin's character is the one on LSD. Yeah, maybe. Like, you you mentioned it in a off-air discussion that he looks stoned in the movie. And I watched it on my, the, my next viewing after that, thinking like, wow, look, his face looks a little pale underneath the makeup. He's, he's got these... Got these, his, his eyes are just like glazed. Yeah. And he's got these rings around his eyes. Like they're not quite bloodshot, but it does look like he's, he's at the very least acting quite hungover or under the influence of alcohol or something. Or something. Yeah. But he's, he's stoned in some measure as far as I can tell. This is nominally a sequel. We've talked about Frank, Frankenstein conquers the world. I had not seen Frankenstein conquers the world until this week. I watched it in preparation the same way that I watched Monster X Strikes Back. I prefer Frankenstein Conquers the World to this. I really enjoyed that movie. I think they're on equal footing with me. I mean, I really like Frankenstein Conquers the World also. And I think it plays better and better every time I see it. So um, I, I think it's I think it's a spooky film. Definitely up there in their uh, list of, uh, of top films as far as Toho's monster movies go. Yeah, well, you said it exactly right, spooky. What I think of is there's some of the scenes, or there, there's one scene in particular where Frankenstein is out in the water and a ship goes by and you just see him kind of like half submerged in the water and he is lit by this kind of one spotlight that is supposed to be lights from the boat as it's passing by. And it's such an eerie sight. It, there's a lot of that imagery in the movie that I, I found very effective. Um, yes, I also wanted to say about that, I, we're not talking about that, but I, I did have to mention Frankenstein Conquers the World literalizes the atomic metaphor more than just about any kaiju film I've seen other than the first Godzilla. It's not just atomic testing, it's the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima that irradiates and leads to Frankenstein growing. Yes. And then, but then strangely following that metaphor, the movie kind of puts the bombing of Hiroshima in a very positive light <laughs> because without it, Frankenstein would have not been there to stop Baragon from rampaging. Right. The, the wonderful Baragon. <laughs> so as a mon as a villain, he's like the cutest villain ever. He's not in Frankenstein conquers the world very much. He's kind of underutilized, but yes. it, it is cool. And the movie like that, that, atomic metaphor had to be intentional because the movie was released two days after the 20th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. Oh, I don't doubt it was, I don't, I do not doubt it was intentional. But it, it's so strange that it, it's so directly tying it to the atomic bombs that were dropped on Japan. 
which which leads to just you know some of that like spooky power that the movie has sure i want to make mention since we're talking about it here uh, this so this movie has the first official use of the iconic portable maser cannons in the uh, toho films oh yes the, yes yeah and um, there's like every every like godzilla movie after this point has these cannons in it pretty much i mean anytime godzilla or one of the other monsters shows up the military shows up and they have these kind of cannons mounted on the back of jeeps that that shoot like microwave lasers basically a uh, maser is uh, a short for microwave amplification by stimulated emission of radiation uh, <laughs> which is basically a microwave laser there are masers in real life but they're not used to this extent they don't they're not like destructive like in this way they're more kind of uh sound and radiation based but they don't um, they don't send out like animated lightning and they do not send out animated lightning but these maser cannons do and they're almost entirely ineffective against godzilla and his friends but they're used all the time and they're like terrific you know, they show up and you go yeah if they're a godzilla drinking game as soon as the maser cannons show up you gotta take a drink right yeah they uh, are so ineffective it it's literally like the actors don't know that they're those masers are going to be used because they're just doing whatever they're going to do as lightning is animated over the frame <laughs> right i will say in this movie they're actually more effective than in other movies because they do manage to help you know to to put down the green gargantua at first because remember he then he hits the water and fries and all that stuff it seemed more like the water was amplifying the electricity more than the masers themselves were doing it right anyway. but the masers knocked him down though so i mean he did they did help knock him down. So I will say that's the most effective they are used in any of the films. But they, they, there were antecedents to the Mazer in other films. So you can go, go back and similar weapons. But this is the first time that they actually look in this form and they're actually officially called Mazer cannons. I think that is maybe going to do it for our discussion on this. Like I said, I am not quite part of the cult of this movie, but I am open to joining it i will definitely be watching this movie again and taking your opinions and your your insights uh taking those with me and hopefully like next time uh it'll click with me finally yeah have you had you had you seen this movie before yeah i had seen it once before a a few years back okay okay that's why i didn't understand and then yeah and then i watched it and i was like i kind of this movie isn't quite clicking with me and then we were about to record but i was like i i maybe i just wasn't giving it enough attention so i delayed our initial record partly so i could watch it again and really try and like and get into it and it it didn't it just didn't happen sure so we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back we're gonna have our top fives of the week So here we are, we're going to talk about, well, it's not really our top five anymore. I've kind of been moving away. Anybody that listens knows that even to begin with, it was never a top five because I was always very clear. These aren't my favorite or movies that I'm saying are the best. They're just the ones that come to mind. And so that's kind of what these are here. These are are movies that are maybe recommended viewing to go along with this, maybe I think you use the term side viewing, just like further viewing, other things to check out if you liked these movies. And I have to say, 
I'm afraid just about everything I'm going to mention or I'm going to recommend has been mentioned in the episode. So uh, there's not going to be like a lot of surprises in mine, unfortunately. Oh, I think I'm going to have some surprises. Uh, I really am glad to hear that. I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to your list. But my first recommended viewing after this, I mentioned it earlier, is going to be Alien, uh, Ridley Scott's Alien. Because we talked about it in X Matter Space, the way that uh, Gilala's spore gets out, it looks like them discovering the facehugger bleeds acid in Alien. But also in Frankenstein Conquers the World, which wasn't one of our two movies, but uh, we talked about they find, or they have Frankenstein's hand, which is moving on its own, and they find it in the lab later, and it, it's gone under a grate and kind of died, even though it had been mobile a little bit earlier. And that scene also reminded me of when they're hunting for the face hugger after it, uh, after it gets off of, um, off of John Hurt. So I, I just found some air, like uh, several of the movies we've discussed earlier today, made me think of Alien. So that's my first one. Oh, I, and you know, you know how much I love Alien because it's in my, it's in actually in my top six films of all time. Yeah, I am a massive Alien fan. I know it's more of a thing these days to say that Aliens is the more preferred film with more modern people, but not for me. It's Aliens, the one all the way. Yeah, I, I love Aliens. I really do. But like I said, I just watched uh, Alien and Aliens recently and Alien is like it's so i mean like it's so gorgeous looking everything about it is so well designed it's such a like a great movie i think and I don't moody. Know, I, it's such a great mood to it you know? yes and they're they're so different i actually don't feel comfortable comparing them i know people always want to talk about which no, one one's a ghost one's a haunted house movie and one is a and one is a war movie so yeah i mean it's two different things i've always felt that they're different enough that i don't need to compare them I'm not sure if there's one that I ever prefer watching. Aliens is a great movie. It's a great genre film, but it's also a great movie on top of that. But it's much further down the list of all time for me than Alien. Aliens up there. In my actually, you know, I'm looking at my flick chart. It's uh, my yeah, it's my number five film. So, oh okay. Uh, so my first pick is um, uh, Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Okay, okay. Which is the first? It's not Harryhausen's first film, but it's his first film uh monster movie and uh it's uh based on ray bradbury's uh short story just partially based on i mean the foghorn is the name of the story uh that bradbury originally wrote um but that story is so short and it just involves a creature attacking a lighthouse uh and that scene is in this movie but it's just like a drop in the bucket in this movie uh but yeah it, uh normally I would go, well, I wouldn't count like a dinosaur movie to be like technically kaiju, even though, even if it's on a rampage, but this is a fake dinosaur. So it's not a real dinosaur. It's on a rampage. It's a retosaurus, which is not a real creature. It's kind of a combination of other prehistoric creatures. It gets unsprung from the, from the Arctic and comes down and attacks New York, basically. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just an incredible almost iconic uh, animation by Harryhausen, uh, oh, including terrific. the scene. What's that? Oh, I was just saying it is terrific. Yeah. Uh, including the scene where uh, there's a, a cop on the street and this creature's like, you know, 200 feet high. And, you know, 
um, the cop is like shooting his gun by himself at this creature, and the and the Redosaurus just looks down and just picks him up by the head and eats him, you know. <laughs> and uh, very famous scene. And it also, you know, kind of falls into the shark film category for me because there is a a uh, actual scene of a shark fighting an octopus in the in the diving bell sequence that was actually from an older film, but they reused the footage in this movie. But it actually ended up in my shark list. <laughs> And I and I had completely forgotten about it. And then when I was compiling my shark lists, I was like, "Oh wow, Beast of Twenty Thousand Atoms is on it." But I, yeah, I just really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, that's a good one. I haven't seen that in a very long time, but maybe I should. Uh... Always worth a revisit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember being very impressed by it. Really liking it. Uh, so my next one, also mentioned earlier, is Gappa, the Triphibian monster. Ooh, Gappa, which is. Well, there was a like when I was doing my research and I saw that they were going to have or they were planning a Gappa X from Outer Space crossover sequel. It got me very excited and kind of sad that we never got to see that because there's only ever been the one appearance of Gappa, right? In the the movie. It's a monster that's never repeated as far as I know. And yes. it if anybody's seen Gorgo, it's kind of the a similar plot, some People find find a young Gappa, take it back to Japan, and Gappa's parents come calling. <laughs> it is really fun. The version I have has, uh, I'm not sure how many dubs there were, but the version I have, the dub of it, it has some humor that maybe wasn't intentional on the part of the Japanese filmmakers, but also like I like the look of it. I like that little beaked face. And I, I think it, it's just overall a very fun movie. Well, that leads right into my next one, which is Gorgo. Oh, hey. You, you've, you've done the work for me already, but Gorgo is my, my number four film. I just love this movie. It's one of the best giant monster movies. It's just gorgeously shot. And yeah, Gorgo, they, they capture this, this sea monster. They take him to a carnival, basically, in, in London. And they kind of misuse him and abuse him and uh, mom comes calling and destroys London. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's a marvelous monster movie. And I, I just have just such a fondness for it. It almost, almost makes me cry how much I love this movie. So. Oh, wow. The first time I saw Gorgo, I was like 19 and I was watching it with a bunch of my friends. We, we were doing bad movie nights, which I know you, you take exception with, but we were young and the idea was that the, not that the movies were bad, but we were just picking movies that looked like they would be fun, like like fun to do like a kind of home MST3K too. Sure. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes we would get really good movies. And Gorgo was one that was a re I remember being particularly fun in terms of riffing. And then I watched it a couple of years ago, and and kind of did have that realization like, oh wow, this is actually like a good movie. Uh, not not just one that I think at the time we were kind of considering it maybe a, a bit of a you can riff movie so you know I mean that, yeah. if riff tracks proven anything they can they can take even a, a much vaunted piece of cinema and mock it you know because everything's up for mocking it's art all art is up for mocking true so yeah it's just sometimes sometimes picking on a film that's already bad you know or especially a low budget one that was like kind of amateurish and stuff it's kind of like you know shooting fish in a barrel kind of thing you know it's like it's like yeah it's it's easy to mock it but it's already kind of mocking itself you know it's like uh so my next pick 
the last rubber suit monster movie that I have on my list. It's uh, The Green Slime from Kenji Fukusaku. It's got the same kind of groovy space setting that X from Outer Space has. Uh, we already mentioned it. It would make a very good pairing. I don't I don't need to go too much into it. It's, uh, you know, we already talked about it earlier. All right, so uh, yeah, and my, uh, my next film is Demi-King, The Sea Monster. Okay, yeah, I watched this because of you a few years ago. Yeah, um, not, not a great movie, but it's a very interesting movie. And, and I, 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 I find it fun. It's very different. It's a kaiju film only for about eight minutes. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's more of a stand by me kind of movie, uh, basically, uh, with uh, a, a young high school kid who looks about 30 and three, like eight, nine, 10 year olds, maybe, I don't know. Uh, that he hangs out with and they go on this kind of adventure on their bicycles trying to find they're kind of led into this treasure hunt by uh, another uh, older high schooler what it leads to is them well I'm not going to give it away but there are are talks of this this sea monster that might be uh, coming from space basically it's actually a space monster but they call it sea monster in the title but it's actually a space monster and there is a dream sequence in the film that's for about eight minutes where you get this terrific, terrific kaiju attack. And it's kind of a snail headed alien creature uh, who just like lets loose on the city. And it's a marvelous sequence, uh, but, the, but it's a very brief part of the movie. If you're going to be a completist about this, I would recommend seeking it out, but you have to like buy the DVD. It's really not available anywhere except for on DVD from what I understand. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a very interesting Japanese film. Yeah, I think when I saw it, it was on Prime or it was on something somewhere, but it it is kind of hard to find now. Uh, I'm just... Sure. Yeah, seeing if I could find it anywhere. And, oh, it is free on Tubi at the moment. Oh, it is on Tubi. All right, by all means, go go check it out. Um, it's not great. But it's it's very good. The the drama is a lot of fun, and uh, check it out. All right. So my next one, it, it th- this next one, I kind of feel bad about. It only is chosen because it is in the same box set as X from Outer Space. But I really want to recommend it to people anytime I can. Is Goke Body Snatcher from Hell? Like I said, yeah. it's not really connected. It is another Japanese film, uh, another Japanese special effects film. Um, it is. Gorgeous. By the same company. Yes. X from Outer Space. Yeah. Shochiku had a very brief horror run, only four movies. Um, they're all interesting in various ways. My favorite, like your favorite is X from Outer Space out of that set. My favorite is Goke. It's gorgeous looking. I love the oranges and the, the yellow, yellowish hues. It has a monster that I find disturbing. Like I, the, the design and the, when you see that, like, space slime going to the people's heads it it really does gross me out <laughs> um it's got like a really oppressive great mood to it i i love this movie a lot it is not fun the way that the other movies we're talking about are fun but it's pretty terrific it's also referenced in kill bill uh what what's the reference in kill bill the the, the plane flying through the blood red skies oh okay now that you mention it, I yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, so um, what's your your next one? 
Okay, so now we're going to get a uh, so we're going to get a little more uh, American here. My next one is uh, a very odd film from 1975 called The Milpitas Monster. I just watched that this year, or well, no, last year now. Yeah. Well, my the first time I watched it was last year. Also, I watched it on Creature Features, and uh, now I own the DVD, which is actually called Mutant Beast, I believe, on DVD. But yeah, it's a uh, it's just a fun, goofy, very amateurish uh, local production in Milpitas, California, which is kind of a, you know, from all accounts is a fairly stinky, pollution-ridden city, especially in 1975. And so the people that live there decided to make a, well, it was actually some high schoolers, and they decided to make a film. I think the whole film was shot for like about $11,000 or something like that, but it has some terrific miniature effects in it. Uh, just a crazy monster suit. It's a monster. It's a giant monster that's made entirely out of the garbage from the city dump. And uh, it goes around uh, in the middle of the night, basically going to everybody's trash cans, reaching down and like eating all the garbage in the trash cans or collecting it and uh, leaving messes all over the city. It's just kind of a wacky film. It's a lot of ways. There's a lot of kind of an American graffiti vibe to it with the local teenagers and stuff. Just a, a fun little movie. It's uh, most people would look at it and say, oh, what a terrible movie. And it's like, well, it is terrible, but it was made by teenagers and it's, its heart is all there. I mean, it's, it's very much a fun, a, a, like the entire town took part. And Bob Wilkins from the original Creature Features has a cameo in the film. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I recommend it just for that. If you're, if you're a fan of that show of, um, of longstanding, but I think it falls into the Kaiju category. It is a giant monster. <laughs> it's yeah, stomping through the city. So yeah. Okay. So my last pick is going to be really out there. It, it, it maybe is <laughs> kind of a cheat. It's okay. My last two are also. Oh, so. this one, this one feels super ridiculous actually, but I got to go with it. I, my next one is going to be Ed Wood. Tim Burton's Ed Wood. Okay. Uh, mainly because of the octopus fight. Uh, the seeing the uh, gargantua fight the octopus as cool as it looks it's it's better than the one that looks like in ed wood but that's what i just thought of was bella lugosi or martin lando is bella lugosi wrestling that octopus while high on morphine oh yes of course that's hilarious and that i mean everybody knows ed wood right it's like it's great everybody knows it so let's go ahead with uh unless you have anything to say about it let's go ahead with your your next pick Okay, so uh, my last one is actually two, and but they're short, they're small, because they're not even like actual films. One's a TV episode. Uh, one is the mole versus uh, jetpack in Arrested Development. Okay. I, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's a ridiculous scene where, uh, I, I, if you're familiar with Arrested Development, it takes place in a model home, you know, that's oh, in yeah. part of the subdivision. And um, they actually have a, a, a model of the of the subdivision that's called Tiny Town. And at one point, Tobias Funke, played by David Cross, is in a mole costume. And then uh, uh, George, uh, the, you know, the, the, the dad who's in hiding on uh, Unrested Development, is in a, is, has put on a jetpack. And he ends up flying accidentally into... Tobias in this mole costume while he's walking around. He's trying. Tobias is trying to destroy Tiny Town and stomping all over it. And so then you get this giant mole fighting this giant guy in a giant spaceman in a jetpack, basically, in, in, on, on top of a little town. So it's a nice little, nice little kaiju reference there in the middle of the rest of development. 
Uh, yeah, Arrested Development always had the best constructed jokes, the way that so many disparate things would like kind of come together in a perfect punchline. Um, yeah, it, it took me a minute to remember that, but I, re I, I was a huge Arrested Development fan when that was on the air. And then my last, my last little side view for uh, Kaiju stuff is um, uh, Michael Nesmith's Elephant Parts. Um, oh, the, I uh, seen this. There, there's a scene where, well, I'm, I'm a, as you know, I'm a massive monkeys fan, and, and especially of Michael Nesmith. And uh, Elephant Parts is just like a key part of my comedy upbringing. And uh, there is a song. He has a uh, Michael Nesmith has a song called Joanne. And on Elephant Parts, which is, you know, kind of, Elephant Parts kind of led into MTV. So it's music with short little comedy skits in between. So it's like a lot of video type stuff that you would eventually see on MTV. Um, but he would, and Nesmith did play a big part in the creation of that network. Um, so you have Nesmith and you see him at first with a guitar and he starts singing what sounds like his song, Joanne, but he sings, her name was Rodan. And, and then he continues with the song and they pan this, the camera down and he's got these giant reptilian legs and he starts stomping all over a city and there's explosions and all this stuff. And the song cuts out because he's exploding and he's lucky, he's laughing maniacally and all this stuff. And just a nice little kaiju moment in the middle of the show. I'll have to check that out. That's It's easily easy to find on YouTube. Uh, you can actually go to his, his, you can actually go see it on his YouTube page, which is Michael Nesmith's Video Ranch. Yeah, it's just Rodan from Elephant Parts. All right, well, that's going to do it. That's a lot of viewing for you. Uh, like I said earlier, we're doing a little bit of a kaiju takeover here. So where there's this week. Next week, I believe, we're going to be having Carlos on the show. And then after that, it's all leading up to, we're going to have a big roundtable with all three of us discussing Godzilla versus Kong and probably a lot more kaiju stuff along the way in that discussion. And then also take a look at... Or, check out Carlos's show. I'm going to be doing an episode with him about the original Godzilla, which is not on the 1001 movies list, which frankly, to me, calls the entire validity of that book into question. I was shocked to see Godzilla is not in there, but we're going to be doing a special episode in his show's feed. Uh, but yeah, keep listening, keep watching. We'll be back next week. If you want to follow along with us, uh, on Twitter or Instagram. It is at TwoHeadedPod. And of course, there's that Facebook page. If anybody's on Facebook, go check us out. Rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. And we'll see you next week.